0: morning to you. Uh, some of you I do know from uh, Yosemite, and uh, some I just met, and others I've met you and I don't remember you. And uh, others, I pretend that I know you, but I don't. <laughs> I just want to add that Nick, you scored big brownie points by making that footnote, but you're still going to have to work seven years. <laughs> How was that? Did that sound okay? I was, like, I was working on the delivery all morning. <laughs> uh, my name is Steve Price, and I'm very privileged to be with you. Uh, my daughter, she is number five in the family. That's right. right. Six? Oh, you're six. Sorry, sorry. We dropped one somewhere. Uh, we have nine children, as you may know, and our oldest is 30, and our youngest is six, and Maggie is uh, in the middle there. Uh, she is our, middle, our, third, our second daughter, We have three daughters. Each of them are separated by almost 11 years, and so they each one get to be the princess. Remember that, Nick. All right. Uh, But most importantly, um, uh, it's a pleasure to be with you. I attend the Bible Chapel of Shawnee. I'm one of three elders there, and um, um, I I feel like I don't know you very well, so I just want to give some introduction things. Um, I'm a physician. I've been a physician for... A long time, over almost two and a half decades, and uh, I just left medicine. We just left medicine to serve the Lord in January. So that's kind of our short history. And uh, the way I got here today was because um, three gentlemen who are in this room approached me at a Yosemite conference, and they said, we're really excited about discipleship and training. See, I, I was teaching there last year, and Nick was there, so I really was grateful I had a chance to be nice to him and, and not make him squirm and bleed and cry, although I might have done that. But these bro- brothers at the Yosemite conference said, we can't travel to uh, Yosemite or to Lubbock, Texas, which is the city of perfect nothingness. And... Um, and we can't, uh, we can't give up our jobs and our families. We, we really need to stay at home. Is there anything else we can do? And uh, so we prayed about it, and we asked the Lord. You may not know this, but there are five major things that had to have happened for this weekend to occur. All five happened. Some of those events were extremely painful, both for you and for me. But we believe that the hand of the Lord was behind it all. We see it. We can acknowledge it. We, we know it. And um, as a result, we had our first discipleship class yesterday. The poor guy showed up, and we went at it for about 10 hours, and, uh, and Ricky is still living. That's amazing to me. So that's what brings us together. Now, what I want to do today is I'd like you to turn to the book of John, chapter 13. John, chapter 13, has been a very... Um, Uh, tender passage for me over the years. I've spent a lot of time looking at the upper room events, Uh, but John 13 is um, the one that begins the whole discourse, and um, and I I was thinking about this, meditating on it, you know, whatever synonym we use there to contemplate, and I realized that in the past, I've always taught this from a particular angle, and it's the angle that supports the thrust of the passage, but the thrust of the passage happens to deal with the very short conversation the Lord Jesus has with Peter. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to read the passage, and then I'd like to go back and look first at the very central thrust of the, of the, uh, of the paragraph, of the passage itself. And in so doing, then I would like to look at the other details of the passage. The reason why I want to do it this way is because I, I believe it'll give us perhaps a, a different, um, maybe a more appropriate angle to view this section. Now, if you're unfamiliar with John chapter 13, it's what they call the upper, the beginning of the upper room discourse, and that's where the Lord Jesus had instructed His disciples to go find uh, or prepare the, the, um, the room for the final uh, Passover that He knew that, they would ha- that He would have with them. And uh, there was a a kind of a miraculous thing that led up to it and finding the fellow that had the jar on his head and the whole thing and and how he led them to the room and it was all ready. But what you may not realize was it was a pretty hectic week for these guys. It's 96 hours of nonstop activity. They make it finally to this place. Let's read the first several verses. If you have your Bibles, John chapter 13, and I'll begin reading in verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover... When Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, And that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper, laid his garments aside, or laid aside his garments, took a towel, girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, what are you doing? Are you washing my feet? Can you hear that? What are you doing? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand. You do not understand now. But you will know after this. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, uh, well, Lord, not, not my feet only, but my, also my hands and, and my head. Jesus said to him, he who is bathed, singular, needs only to wash his feet but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him, he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, You are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know that I do you know what, what I have done to you? You call me teacher and lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, Well, I, I, obviously, I obviously tried to read it with some emphasis and voice inflection because there's certain pass- portions that we want to, to have our focus. And the, the, the focus that I want to begin with is what I call the illumination paragraph. The illuminate, you know, where things kind of, the light turns on. Have you ever had one of those moments where the, the light turns on? You know, like you don't turn, you don't make a, a left turn on red. That's a good moment to remember. You young drivers don't do that. Uh, other moments in, in life. I, I remember one time I was, um, I, I was up early in the morning. I had to be at the hospital at uh, 5 a.m. So I, uh, you know how it is when you get up at 5 a.m. You really don't open your eyes, right? You, you, you just kind of coast and do everything by touch and feel. And, and so I shaved with my eyes closed and I got to the hospital and I still had shaving cream on my face, you see. That was an illuminating moment especially when my partner mentioned it to me. It was very embarrassing. But this is an illuminating moment, and I, I'd like you to focus your attention to that paragraph. It says so in, uh, in uh, verse 6. Then he came to Simon Peter, and he said to him, Lord, are you washing me, or washing my feet? Now, this is interesting. I don't think it was a question. There's several ways to ask the question. I don't think it was a question of... of um, uh, what are you doing next? I think it was a question of astonishment. Are you, you washing my feet? I base that on the the other sentences in this particular paragraph, but he seems to be a bit astounded. And the Lord Jesus even answers his astonishment by using the word you don't understand right now. In other words, you will understand. You're bewildered, aren't you? And I think that was what's in play. Uh, Peter was a little bit bewildered. What is this? This doesn't make sense. You're washing my feet. And in particular, it is inferred that Peter understood the greater is washing the lesser's feet. Now, that's incongruous. That shouldn't happen. But yet, even though it was a moment in which the opposite thing was happening, the Lord Jesus teaches something very specific that we should not overlook. And here's what he teaches. He teaches. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Oh, sorry, I skipped that verse. Verse 7, what I am doing, you do not understand. In other words, t- Peter, there is a, there's a certain kind of truth here. There's a certain element that is escaping you. And at this particular moment, it won't become clear to you, but it will become clear. So let me go through the moment. You ever felt like that? There are times when things are happening around you, and it doesn't make sense. And yet, what the Lord Jesus would say, based on this passage, is simply this. Now, you may not understand this right now. You may not, it may not make sense to you this moment, but you've got to let the moment transact. You've got to let the moment transpire. It is ne- it's necessary. I have ways of thinking that are higher than your ways. That's Isaiah 55. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. What does that mean? That means that sometimes there's going to be a disconnect between what he is thinking and doing and what I understand he's thinking and doing. And sometimes we go through that, don't we? It doesn't make sense. It, 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 it can't be calculated. It, it just certainly is baffling, bewildering. Maybe you felt those very the emotions. And that is exactly what I think Peter was saying or was indicating in the Lord Jesus identified that. He underscored it. He said, I get it. I know it doesn't make sense. I know it seems confusing. But what is he inferring? You can trust me. You can trust me. Faith. Without it, you cannot please God. Without it, you can't come to Christ. Without it, you can't please God. Without it, you can't walk in the Spirit. Faith, that's what needs to be exercised in the moment of bewilderment, in the moment of question. Some of us won't respond that way. Some of us will respond by questioning God or blaming others. We will we'll, we'll, we'll feel it's wrong to, to blame God, so we'll blame others, and, and the bewilderment continues. And although there are those factors and parameters which have that that sort of masking quality to your spiritual vision, you must continue to trust God. Do you remember Joseph? Oh, yeah, he's my second cousin from my, my mother. No, 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 that's not the Joseph. The Joseph I'm talking about is the guy in the Old Testament, it a cycle of, of living where he was, he was popular with dad, unpopular with the brothers. The brothers threw, were going were gonna to kill him, but they got a change of heart and they decided to sell him for some money, some measly coins. And so he went over to, to, to Egypt with a bunch of people he didn't know, a bunch of people he didn't recognize, got sold as a slave to Potiphar, who, by the way, for a living, kills people. That's not good. And so Potiphar elevates him up in his house and Mrs. Potiphar has the hots for him. And guess what? He gets thrown into prison. He goes into a pit. He goes into prison, and in prison, he gets a little hope there. There's a couple of guys that have some dreams. He tells them what's going to happen, and the one uh, the dreams occur as he said. And the guy gets elevated up to the palace, and he says to him, "Now, don't forget me." Two years later, three hundred. What is it? Seven hundred and uh, forty days later, he's in the, still in prison. He's down. He's, he's, he's he, uh, popular. Pit elevated to Potiphar prison. He's got promise and nothing. You see how that happens? And, it, and then, and then it, one day the dream comes out and he gets elevated. Now he's prime minister. Huh? Did you notice they're all Ps? I worked on that a long time. Okay. Prime minister, right? And then, and then as prime minister, his poor brothers come to town and he recognizes them. What would you do? There they are. They're so going to be done. Right? I mean, i hate him. I'd hate him. But Joseph doesn't. On multiple occasions, both before Pharaoh and both before his brothers, he says that God is the one who actually has orchestrated this whole thing. He believed in God. He trusted in the providential care of God, even though he couldn't see it. So much so that when after Jacob dies, he gets to the end of Jacob, his father's life, and, and, and dad is buried, the brothers come, and they're very, they're very uh, afraid very afraid. And Joseph says this. He says, you meant it for evil, and I could believe that, and I could hold that, and that could be my dimension of reality, but I actually I see that God has done good. Look at all the lives he's saved. Look at the food we have. Look at the children, my nieces, my nephews. Look at all of this, and I'm going with God's version of good, aren't you? And he spoke kindly to them. His faith and the providential hand of God actually produce a responsive hand of kindness and grace. You see how valuable faith is? And at this moment when the Lord Jesus is teaching Peter, you don't understand. You've got to trust me on this. It may not make sense. It may even seem evil, as our example in Joseph's life. But God will work it together for good. That's faith. The evidence of things hoped for. Substance of things not seen. All right, so let's go back to John 13. It goes like this. And Peter said to him, "I love him. I love Peter. He just—he's just a man of extremes. You shall never wash my feet." The Lord, can you hear that? I have this problem. I'm a man of extremes. I get in the car with my wife, and she—and she's hot. I said, "Oh, you're hot." So I cranked the air conditioner on maximum, double maximum. I turned the seat cooler on. And she goes, oh, I'm cold. I cranked the heat all the way on, you know, the seat warmer on. She goes, you are a man of extremes. I don't think so. (laughs) Peter, he's the same way. You'll never wash my feet. Are you kidding? No, no. John will wash my feet. That's not in the text. I threw that in. See if you're awake. Okay, so it goes like this. He says, you shall never wash my feet. And and Jesus, and I love the Lord Jesus. He says, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. Can you hear that? (laughs) What? No part of you? I... Give me the full car wash, the deluxe version. That's a loose interpretation from the original language. If you read closely, you can see it. Okay. It goes like this. If I do not wash you, this is in verse eight, you do not have part with me. Well, he's obviously saying you, I want to have part with you. So please give me the full wash, so I can be wholly part of you and, G- and Simon Peter said, "Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. I need everything done." And by the way, use some of that conditioner. A loose part in the a loose translation. Jesus said to him, "He who is bathed only needs—it's singular. He who is he bathed only needs to wash his feet." Now, what is this referring to? Well, this is a practice and the custom of that day. Back in the in that day, streets were Usually, if Rome had a chance to get in there, they'd pave them with stone, and sometimes they'd still be dirt. Either way, they're quite dirty. Uh, Even today, if you go to Jerusalem, go down the, go into the, um, what is it called, the uh, priest tunnel, Uh, it's on the western wall, you go underground, you go down about 40 feet, you actually get to the Roman stones of the time of Christ, which is Kind of moving because you realize well the Savior might have walked this way because the same wall was there, and so you you, you realize uh, uh, some moments of epiphany. But one of, you, one of the things you see is it would have been kind of a dirty situation. All the animals walking around and and you know they didn't really clean up after the animals. You had dirt everywhere, and so it was it was kind of easy uh, easy place to get soiled. Now think about it. Therefore, if you walked on the street, went to another's house. It was customary and appropriate so, at least so to have a chance to clean up what has been soiled, especially when you reclined at the table to eat, with your head was towards the table and your feet was out where everybody could, you know, smell them. Right? And so it was appropriate to wash the feet. In fact, usually the servant of the house or the youngest child, usually the servant would wash the feet of the visitor, right? So it's it's a real honorable thing, and yet Peter says, or the Lord Jesus says, "Listen, you've already taken a bath, like the analogy of our custom. You, you've already bathed. All I really need to do is take care of the part that's been re-soiled." Can you imagine if Ricky, thank you for volunteering, comes to my house, which I believe you are planning to, and uh, he comes over? And I said, Ricky, thank you for coming. We have a special dinner tonight. Would you like to freshen up? Right? That's a normal custom. So he goes into the bathroom that's in my study. And the next thing I know, I hear the door locked. That's okay. And the shower turns on. And then I hear Ricky singing, which of course would frighten us all. <laughs> and he's singing away. He's singing how great thou art. And you know what? He's taking a shower. And next thing I you know, I hear the hair blower, the hair blower on, and I, I hear the fan going, and I hear him singing some more. That was kind of torturous. And then and, 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 and the whole thing, and he comes out about 15 minutes later, he says, I'm ready to eat now. I'm going to look at you Said, are you off your medications? He goes, let me tell you, I just meant for you to wash your hands. Right? Do you see how it would be kind of unusual? Oh, by the way, if you do want to do that, it's okay. I won't say anything. Nothing will be said. I'll send you a later, a letter. All right. Anyway, so what happens is the Lord Jesus is referencing this kind of unusual comment, and, and so he says, "Listen, you don't you're, you're, you're dragging this out. You're an extreme thing again here, buddy. What you need to understand is that I only need to wash the feet that's involved with you today." Now, obviously, he's not teaching about the customs and the practices of how our uh, how, how guests are supposed to be treated. He's, it's much deeper than that, isn't he? He's saying, "Listen. There is someone here who is not bathed the first time. What does that mean? He's meaning Judas. It says so in the very next verse. For he knew who would betray him, that is Judas Iscariot. And so uh, he, says, he says, you're not all clean. You have not all fully trusted me as your Messiah and Lord and teacher. You haven't done that. And this, the one who hasn't is standing here in the room. He identifies him. The Lord was not fooled. He does not suddenly say, oh, you're the guy? I thought it was going to be Andrew. It wasn't one of those deals. It was clear to the Lord. I knew every step of the way. And he's saying to Peter, listen, I know that you are, uh, you, you, That only your feet need to be washed if you've already been clean. Now, not all of you are that way. But most of you are that way. Eleven, you are, uh, eleven you are, of you are like that, but not the, the last one. But you, but you should understand something, that in the process of living, spiritual living, it will be of necessity... It will be an absolute requirement. It cannot be avoided that your feet shall be washed. Do you understand that, right? Spiritually speaking, in the soul, you cannot go through the life of the believer, that is already cleaned, and expect not to have moments where the Savior washes your spiritual feet. Do you understand that? That is so important. The writer of Hebrews said it this way: "The Lord loves those He chastens, and He rebukes every son He receives." That is impossible. We have had many moments like that in our lives. Many moments where God has ch- has scrubbed the scat or scrubbed the dirt off my soul. The times when when I have had such terrible selfishness and self-centeredness and self-agenda. And God has said in so many words, this is not how you'll be. I'm going to have to wash your feet. You see that? That is a normal part of the Christian life. It's not only the normal part of you as an individual believer. It is a normal part of an assembly of believers, a collection of believers. Make no mistake, it it, it has to occur. He even says it. Let's read his very words precisely. Verse 10, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. Oh, oh, sorry, back up one. If I do not wash your feet, you have no part of me. It is important. You are part of Christ. You are his body. And if you are part of him, he therefore must go through the process of bathing the spiritually contaminated aspects of your soul individually and collectively. It has to be. Our assembly did this. You don't know my assembly. Some of you do. I think Justin and Davey had been there and Nick has been there. But 25 years ago, you would not call us an assembly. You would have called us a Bible club because we hated each other. We just tolerated it. That's without our legacy as an assembly. Our assembly had f- uh, a split every decade for 50 years. You could, you could, it was like clockwork. The last major split we had was just before my wife and I came. 60 people left, 60. That guts the meeting. We arrived. We were the young married couple. We had one child, and in one family, we housed the Sunday school, the young people, the young marrieds, and the youth group. We were it. And our assembly was in shambles. We ha- there were people that hated one another. Some brother would get up to speak, the other brother would leave. At one point, we had people yelling and screaming at each other in the meeting, uh, in the breaking of bread with false accusations. That goes a lot to do the one cup, one, t- one bread thing, doesn't it? That was our legacy. I don't say that pridefully, I say that shamefully. That's what we inherited, that became our legacy, that's what we were about, and that's when the Lord had us go there. And I want you to know, we needed the Savior to wash our feet. It's a necessary part of belonging to Him. I testify you today, I give you testimony today, that we, by the grace of God, let the Spirit of God begin to wash our feet. See, that's the problem. We resist it. And what he did is he began. I will probably start tearing up. This is, this is, this is our this is what he took us through. He began to undo us. We had so much flesh. So you wouldn't guess it from the outside. You just see it from the inside. It was there. It was. We would ask questions. Why don't we have elders? Silence. Because what happened was after that group of people left, the elders that were there said, this doesn't work. We're all going to step down and we're going to be a business meeting. We were a business meeting for 20 years. And there were people that that, that, said, that, that had strong opinions. And, and one guy said uh, one day we were having a discussion and he said, well, if we had elders, we'd have to have a head elder. A head elder. I'm going to ask you something. Where in the text is the term head elder in the original language? Where? Chapter, verse. Let's go. It doesn't exist. It's only conjecture. James was obviously obviously the head elder. I said, you know, brother, I I love you dearly, but I can make an argument that's equally as valid as James. I can say it's Peter. Because you say James uh, uh, spoke at the Jerusalem council, but you know, Peter spoke first. Why can't he be the head elder? And if we can't agree on the criteria, maybe it's not a valid, valid concept. And I'll never forget this. I said, you know, we're not even interested in obeying the Lord. Why would He even show us who the elders are? That's, that was our condition. That was a great need for the Lord to wash our feet. I want you to know something. It's the Lord Jesus who washes the feet. I'm so glad it's Him. Let's see what he, what he was enduring, what he was doing when he washed the feet. Let's just, let's just look at, at some of the, uh, how should we say, um, uh, the situation. All right, let's back up. If you're, if you're able, uh, we probably don't have time to, to look up the scriptures, but let's back up to the week before. started with Palm Sunday, 96 hours prior, big event. Spent the night in Bethany, came over the uh, Mount of Olives, the ridge, as you come down. It's a very steep path. It winds down, and there's trees all over the place. Not the graveyards there today. And as you come down to the Garden of the Olive Press, the Garden of Gethsemane, you come down to the bottom, they're all throwing their palm leaves, and, 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 and they're throwing their cloaks down. And the high priests and the Pharisees, and they're saying, uh, stop this, stop this. And, and the Lord says, I tell you the truth, even the rocks would cry out if they don't. In other words, there's an acknowledgement of all creation of the authority and the position of Jesus Christ. Praise God. And it's rebellious man that would never want to acknowledge that. Rebellious man that does not want to acknowledge the chief lordship of our Savior. Unfortunately, that happens even today. And so he comes down now from that moment on, goes up on the Temple Mount, Tables are overturned again. It's the second uh, uh, historic. It's the second record of turning over tables. One was at the beginning of his ministry. Now we're at the end of his ministry, and he's still cleansing the table as if it never changed. And then what he has got people coming into him left and right. He's got the, we have the fig tree incident. We have the, the, the teaching of uh, the challenges his authority. He's giving parables left and right. The Sadducees want to come and meet with him. We have the the foreigners who come and meet with him. It's busy running. You ever have one of those weeks? How about you get to Friday and you just want to put your feet up because they're pounding? You're tired, you want to eat, you want to sleep, and you don't want to ask, answer any more questions. Anybody, any mothers here? How about that's how you feel? Right? All the moms are smiling right about now. Right? And this is how the week went. And we get to the, we get to the, 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 the preparation, which obviously I would have forgot. And, and now we, we come to the preparation and, and it's, nobody's done it. The Lord has to take care of it, the Lord who washes the feet. And so he takes care of it, and and we come, and you know how it is when you have roast lamb? It's got a little bit of herbs to it, but let me tell you, it's pretty good eating. What What do you do after you eat dinner? You ever have this happen to you? You go home, mama's got this really good roast, Gets it out there. You smell it it, it. it assaults you when you walk into the home, and you, oh, now you're eating, and and you just could. You, oh, let's go quick. Set the table quick. Get the kids in here quick. Let's pray. We pray, and we just woof it in. And I mean, not, I'm not kidding. About 30 minute. Uh, 30 minutes later, we're all sitting back at the table, going, woo. Oh man, I need a nap. Anybody ever have that happen to you? Yeah. Why does that happen to you? Let me explain it to you. All that blood that was going up to your head is now going to your stomach to digest that massive four pounds of beef you just ate. And when that happens, there is no, there's relatively less circulation that's perfusing the cranium, so that your brain kind of goes on. You might want to write that one down. And you get sleepy. Now, if you were a disciple and you ran all week and your feet are swollen and tired and you're kind of hungry and you eat this, this Passover meal, which is, of course, celebratory and remembrance, and you come to this point, you eat, you're kind of, oh. Can you hear that? That's a, one of the situations the Lord was in. How about this one? As they were sitting there talking, one of them begins to say, uh, which one of us will be the greatest? Luke twenty two twenty four. 24. Now, this is not the first time they had the greatest conversation. They had the greatest conversation at least one other time, maybe even two. Remember, the, the last one they had, they, they were talking about who's the greatest walking down the road, and, and, and the Lord says, hey, what are you guys talking about? Nothing, nothing. They're talking about who was the greatest, and the Lord did the, the child thing. There was another incident where it wasn't a direct conversation about the greatest, but a lover John, uh, uh, the thuns of Sunder, their, their mama, their mama they, he, she, went to Ma, she went to the Lord and said, can you make my sons want to sit on your right hand and want to sit on your left? Is that okay? They're all about who's going to be the reigning top alpha dog. Oh, not competing with the Lord, of course not, but just next to the Lord. And this comes up again, and this is a very tender moment. If you're the Lord Jesus and you knew where you are, this is what it says in verse 1. Uh, uh, it says, Jesus knew that the hour had come. You knew that it was very, very delicate. Do you ever have... Uh, well, let me use, if I may, the Weaver family. They're going to send Nick off to the DIT. I'm sure they had that last dinner. That was precious. Nicky, what do you want to eat? Can we get you four times as much? We need to give you... You know All right, they're going to miss you, right? And they're going to do everything for you and get everything ready to go. Let's spoil you. Okay, anyway. That's how it would have been. This is the last hour. The Lord Jesus knowing it was going to occur. This is important. He's got something to communicate. He's going to institute the Lord's Supper. The very thing we've been doing for 2,000 years. It's kind of a big deal. And nobody in the room seems to be concerned. We seem to be full in our stomachs. And now we're talking about who's going to be the greatest. Hey, I think it's going to be me. Yeah, no, I don't think so. You sank on on the sea, but I walked. Can you hear that bickering? Do you ever listen to children do that? Well, I've got a car this big. Well, I got my dad. We've got a yacht. You know that kind of thing. Who can outdo the one? It's trash talk in the upper room. That's what's going down. And the Lord Jesus, He's there the whole time. How nauseating would that have been for you? You you demonstrated what it is to serve. Your life was dedicated to not to be ser- not to uh, be served, but to serve. You stop, you were tirelessly in praying, tireless and teaching, tireless and in and helping the widows and, and raising the dead and healing the blind. Tireless. That was your whole life. And now you're at a moment, and somebody else who who's not even of that caliber saying, Oh, I think I'm gonna be the greatest. Oh, I'd shoot him. We're done. You guys are funkies. Not the savior, not the son of God. Oh, that was not the end of it. Look, look what it, go back to, look at verse uh, uh, 2, is it? And supper being ended, so obviously they're full, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray him. So you've got at dinner, you've got this guy there who's looking at you with a nice eye and a nice smile, but in the back of his head saying, I wonder how I'm going to be able to get him into the hands of the Pharisees. I wonder if we can make this work tonight. I wonder if they'll show up. I, how will I lie to him? Can you ever have that happen to you? Somebody is just straight-faced at you, looking right on, smiling, giving you the eye contact, saying everything's okay to your face, and all the while, they got the dagger right there. That happened to me just before I left my place of employment, where, where uh, those in middle management were trying to subvert my integrity and character. I'll never forget that. I'd taken those people out to eat. I I gave them the gospel. I helped them with their problems. I helped with solutions to their problems. And when it came down to it, the fellow across the table was ready to put a dagger in, in my career. That's okay. You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. I get it. But that's what it would have been like. And if you look back in your life and you can imagine that moment, that's what it would have been like for the Lord Jesus in this supper room. He had guys who were, who were physically obtunded. He had guy the sleepy. He had guys that were talking about who was going to be the greatest. He had a faker and a liar in the room who was conniving under his breath. And then he, Lord Jesus said, I'm going to go to the cross. And they said, no, Lord, we're going to go with you. We're there to the end, one for all, for one kind of thing, Lord. That's us. We're with you there today. Lord Jesus said, well, actually, Peter, Satan's asked to sift your soul. That freaked me out right there. He did? But I prayed for you, and after you returned to me, you know, that was the conversation. That was the whole thing. And the Lord Jesus is in the middle of this whole scenario and all this stuff going on. And, and, and yet, he has the composure enough to say, we need to do some cleaning. What was he cleaning The betrayal, the disloyalty, the unrecognized sacrifice, the pride, the self-centeredness. That's what the Lord Jesus does when he washes feet, you know. He deals with those things which sort of contaminate you in manners and ways you don't realize. That's what's going on. He does that to the individual and he does that to the assembly. And yes, yes, it must be done. It must be. Did you notice his action? Oh, his motivation. I'll show you his motivation. You ready? Number one, he knew that his hour had come, so he knew that it was time. Number two, he says uh, he, uh, that he, having loved, though loved his own, Having or who are in the world, He loved them to the end. Not only did the Lord Jesus understand the right moment at the right time in the right place, as He, as the hour was upon Him. Not only understanding, as it says in verse, uh, what was it, verse three? Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands and that He had come from God and was going to God. Not, not only knowing that His identity and His and His place uh, with God, as, with His Father, was absolutely secure. But the one thing that he knew and the one thing that he practiced was that he loved his own. You cannot survive a moment like that if you don't love the other person who's got the dirt on the feet. I want you to know something, Saints. You cannot love the other person who has the dirt on the feet unless you know the love of God. That is the only way. Can I tell you a little story? And all the things that was happening in our little assembly back then, we, we had a fella that, that, that really was mad at me. Turns out, he saw that I was in his way, and, and he talked to another guy, and they both accused me of wanting to be the next pastor, you know, where I have my, my, a title. I've always been tempted to put on our sign... Pastor Jesus Christ, top that one. I, I don't want to do. I won't do that. But that, that's, that is in my mind. Anyway, so uh, so one night, one of the brothers who was kind of the spokesman he came to me, and he and he really railed on me and accused me of all these things in my heart, and and, and what, he had his finger like this at me for two hours. I'll never forget it. That was a real test of my love for that brother and my love for the Savior. And so I got alone with the Lord Jesus, and I asked him to take away my feelings of hatred. I hated him. That's how I felt. And and the Lord did that. It was miraculous. He did that. uh, 72 hours later, it was my, my opportunity to minister the Word of God. Now, obviously, that would be an inappropriate time to use the pulpit to take a shot at somebody, right? Preach to one. But the Lord had taken away those emotions, and he allowed me to focus upon his heart and his life, and First Peter chapter 2 was very real to me. And what happened was, was a Sunday morning, I walk in, I park my car, and this brother who chewed me out walks right up to me, shakes my hand, and says, I just want you to know I prayed about what I said the other night, and I'm expecting an apology, and he says, and I have no regrets. Have a nice day. You know all those feelings about wanting to kill him? Came back. Just like that. I went to the library of the chapel, I got on my hands and knees, and I said, Lord, I can tell you that the exact opposite of loving the saints is actually in my heart right now. You know it, and I know it. And I can tell you that I don't have the wherewithal to actually have that changed. You're going to have to change that. And he did. And he kept me from using the pulpit as an outpost where I could take a shot of a a, a, Take a, a missile and blow someone away with my words. You young men were having a class on teaching and, and, and ho- uh, Bible study and homiletics. Never, ever, ever use the pulpit as an opportunity to shoot someone. That would be wrong. Anyway, that was my little story And the Lord Jesus was in this environment where he had guys that were so self-centered and they had dirt all over them and it was nasty. And instead of getting up and giving him a lecture, he serves them. Notice his actions. Notice the verbs in his actions. It's for us right here. Oh, by the way, and he couldn't have done it if he didn't love them. The love of God was permeating in his life, and he therefore spread it to this lousy situation, and they did not deserve any kind of love like that, and he didn't deserve the actions. And look at his actions here. It says so. I love this part. Um, uh, And after that, sorry, uh, verse 4, he rose from supper. All right, there's one verb, laid aside his garments. Do you think anybody noticed him getting up from supper? Was it any different than normal? Probably not. He laid aside his garments. Now, that didn't catch anybody's eye. What does it mean to lay aside your garments? It means you're disrobed. How do you know? Well, look at what it says next. And and it says this. He took a towel and girded himself. In other words, he looked just like a slave. And then what he did... As it says this, he poured, I love the, the author here, he gives us all these details, he poured water into a basin. That's what a slave would do. And what else did he do? He began to wash his disciples' feet. Now, if it's true, according to Erdashim, that Judas sat right next to the Lord Jesus who got the sop of the most honorable portion of the evening, then it's probably also true, although you can't prove it, that he probably started with Judas' feet. He was one of honor. Boy, wouldn't that be a bite? And how would you wash them? I would have got out the wire brush. Want me to do your nails too? (laughs) Oh, you're bleeding. (laughs) Sorry. No, I think the Lord Jesus was so so gentle. How do I know that? First of all, he took his body and used it as an oven to warm the towel to dry some feet. And when he took off the towel, What was he? Most likely naked, as a slave would have been. You know what that means? No shred of dignity. Most of us will say, well, I'll do that as long as I don't have to X, Y, and Z, because we're trying to preserve our dignity. Let me tell you, the Lord Jesus divorced himself from dignity to serve a bunch of people who are self-centered, arrogant, and prideful, all in the same room, and a fake. This is what he's teaching. He's saying this, listen, in order, in order for you to be part of me, you're going to have to let me wash your feet, your spiritual feet. And I'm going to be washing in a situation which is totally filled with with nastiness. The flesh has a way of, 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 of contaminating our dispositions, doesn't it? And the Lord Jesus didn't run from there. He didn't dismiss him. He didn't say, you guys are a bunch of losers. Just why don't we start over? He didn't do any of that stuff. He quietly did what the man of God would do. And he would take everything upon himself, rob himself of the only shred of dignity allowed a slave, and do everything that a slave would do, all for the purpose of spiritually bringing a person from dirt contamination to being cleansed in that that capacity. I want to ask you something. Is the Lord Jesus doing that in your life? Is he doing that in this assembly? I guarantee you he'll do that in the most sensitive and careful of ways. I guarantee you he will, he will hold that bruise, that, that cut up foot that's got dirt all over it, and he'll gently clean it, and he'll restore it, and you will be so grateful. Because we were grateful. When the Lord Jesus began to wash our feet at our assembly, he, he, we had our primary disposition as we thought that elders was nice on paper but not in practice. And what happened was the Lord brought us problems that illustrated how badly we needed elders. One of them you wouldn't even believe. We had a fall festival, a fall event. The ladies had decorations out corn stalks, pumpkins, squash. And the brother over in the side looked up. He saw the breaking of bread. He saw the bread and the cup and the pumpkin in the background. It was Halloween, fall. He thought it was a jack o' lantern. He got up after meeting, took the pumpkin, and just threw it in the baptismal. We had pumpkin juice all over the stained glass. And nobody can write that kind of stuff. And we needed elders to solve that problem. He was washing our feet and that was painful and it hurt not because he was doing it painfully he was doing it in a gentle way but forcing us to face the nastiness of the contamination that had been and that was our story and he took us through that bit by bit we had three major events just like that and the lord used every one of them to change us We began to cry out to God in a way we never cried out. We 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 had men. I would get with one other guy every week for five years, and we'd pray the Lord would heal our assembly. And during those prayer meetings, He taught us if you want to get if you want to hear from me, why don't you read the letters I wrote to the churches in Revelation? Because your name could be in every church. And so we did, and we did that series for about our first series we'd done in 20 years, no consecutive teaching up to that point. We did that series, and I want you to know it changed our lives. And to this day, I can give you every one of those messages because they were tattooed on my brain. He was washing our feet. It's important. It cannot be avoided. If you don't let him wash your feet, you can have no part with me. I would imagine you've gone through some similar events would imagine that you need to see the Savior. You need to see the Lord Jesus who himself in the process of dealing with our issues will allow himself to get on his hands and knees and care for the ways we've been contaminated and disruptive. That's what he does. And he does it not because he's mad at Peter or mad at John or James. Not because he's irritated with Judas or or looks at, at Judas the Iscariot with, with a jaundiced, uh, uh, hateful eye. He does it because he loves you. He loves you. Having loved his own, having loved them to the end. That's what's going on, isn't it? That's exactly what's going on. And that's what he showed us. You should hear the rest of the story. We eventually had elders. We moved one year later because we had too many people. We lost no one in the move. We began to grow. And souls got saved. And souls were baptized. Now we're about 190 to 200 people when we were almost dead. I'm so glad he washed our feet Turns out, it's the way of the Christian life. Father, as we have approached the Word of God today, it's with tremendous um, respect to you. You, your Son, as the caretaker of the assembly, of the body, as the shepherd, will get on his hands and knees. will clean and revive those lambs that need such care. What can I say to you, Father? Your son is magnificent. And he does things that no one else will do. And he cares in ways that no one else can see. And he has the wherewithal, the tenderness, the gentleness, and the capacity, the love to do just that. We don't want any other shepherd. Our shepherd is the chief shepherd. In Jesus' name.